Hey, you got your Bibles? Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. And uh, we're going to look at the resurrection account in Luke's gospel. And, uh, and so as we come to God's word this morning, let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning uh, that we can celebrate. We thank you, Lord, that the resurrection's a reality. And we just want to remember this morning, God, we want to uh, recall these things and bring them back to the front and center of our hearts and minds. And uh, so we ask that by your spirit this morning, you just bless this time that we have together uh, in your word, Lord. We, we read today that in... Um, Mark's gospel, actually, that, that when the women saw you at the garden tomb, they, they bowed down and they worshiped at your feet. And Lord, this morning, that's the, the posture, the position that we want to come as we come to your word, to sit at your feet, to hear you teach us, to hear your spirit speak to us. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd bless this time in the word, in Jesus' name, amen. Right on. Hey, Calvin, I'm going to get you to advance those slides because there's some that are going with the message there, man. You can jump to that front one. Hey, so let's, uh, let's, let's pick it up. Let's just get our bearings here a little bit as we come to the resurrection account. Let's, let's read a little bit of uh, Luke chapter 23. We'll pick it up in verse 50, all right? And uh, let's hear what happened after Jesus had, had died at the cross. Verse 50, it says this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the, Jew, uh, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented their, to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and he laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee, this is key, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath and they rested according to the commandment. <coughs> So let's just get our bearings a little bit here as we consider what was leading up to that Resurrection Sunday. We know Jesus is crucified. He's died on the cross. He's been pierced through the side. It's, uh, I believe, massive heart failure. Just it erupted inside his chest cavity and he, and he died. And so Joseph of Arimathea comes along. He requests for the body of Jesus. They take him down. They... they wrap him up in this linen shroud. And, the, and Luke tells us this, that the women who had followed Jesus all the way from Galilee, they had been part of the disciples and the entourage that traveled with Jesus. You have to know this, it wasn't just the 12 always with Jesus. They were the 12 on the inside, but there, were always a, uh, there was always a larger group with him. And so these women had followed all the way from Galilee. And Luke tells us a couple things that are really important. He says this, they saw the tomb. In other words, it's like they know where the tomb is, where Jesus' body was laid. They also saw this. They saw how Joseph of Arimathea laid his body in the tomb. They, they saw the details, where he was put, everything. 
Then it tells us that they went and they returned spices and ointments. And because it was the day of preparation, Friday, and on Saturday being the Sabbath, they, they got everything ready so that on Sunday, after the Sabbath, uh, they could come and anoint Jesus' body. And so on the Sabbath day in between, they rested according to the commandment. And we pick it up in Luke 24. Let's read through here the first uh, 12 verses. It says this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb and taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and and as they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee uh, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb... They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. This morning I want to give you three points from the resurrection story as we just look at this. And the first one is this. The reality of Christ's resurrection. So let's just see some things that tell us about the reality of the fact that he was raised from the dead. The first thing Luke tells us is that this was Sunday morning. It was the first day of the week. Now that's why we as the church always worship on Sunday. You know, traditionally and Jewish tradition, what's their day of worship? It's Saturday, the seventh day of the week, the last day of the week. A man shall work six days, and then he rests. But in the Christian tradition, in accordance with the resurrection, we worship on Sunday because Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday. We start the week with worship, and then we go from there. Luke tells us from these women that it was morning. It was early in in the dawn that these women made their way to the tomb with the spices that they had prepared. Uh, they had seen, as, we, as Luke tells us, where the body of Jesus had been placed in the, the new tomb. Now, I was just thinking about this. You know, this is why a sunrise service is really fun, actually, because they went at early dawn. You know, uh, a few years ago, just, I was like, oh, man, it's, been, it's busy. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we won't do a sunrise service. You know, we've done them for a few years. And then people are like, hey, what's the details on the sunrise service? Like, when are we doing the sunrise service? And I'm like, okay, there's an appetite for the sunrise service. You know why? It's because it's fun to go er early at dawn and to meet Jesus. You know, this is one morning of the year where I spring out of bed a little bit quicker than most days <laughs> because it's Resurrection Sunday. And when you get to have a, a sunrise service, it's a little bit like reliving what these faithful ladies went through that that first Resurrection Sunday, the day when they visited the tomb. So we know this. They had with them about 75 pounds of spices that they had prepared with which they planned to anoint Jesus' body. But when they arrived at the tomb, 
they found that the stone had been rolled away. Now Matthew's gospel tells us that it was a large stone. It was a very large stone. And that at the request of the religious leaders, the stone had been sealed uh, by the Romans. Meaning that no one could remove the seal or the stone without the permission of Rome. Matthew also tells us that at the request of the religious leaders, um, they, they requested that guards be put in place because they knew that Jesus had claimed that he would rise after three days. And so they just wanted to ensure that, you know, nobody could steal his body and claim that he had been raised from the dead. And so they had put guards in place. Mark's gospel tells us something that we talked about this morning at, at the sunrise service. That on the way to the tomb, as the women were traveling there, they had been discussing how are we going to move the stone. That it was the, the topic of conversation that dominated their, their, their journey to the garden tomb. They weren't sure how they were going to do that. But as they arrived at the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away. And you just think about that for a minute, Right? You think about that if that's you and you're approaching the scene. You're, you, you're going to a tomb, a, gray, a place where a body has been laid, expecting to find it closed, uh, and there it is, it's open. The stones rolled away. You know, I just think about myself, curiosity would have got the better of me. I mean, you imagine the tomb's open, the stones rolled away. What are you going to do? You're going in. You got to go in there and take a, you got to go take a peek and see, and that's exactly what these women did. Now in the Middle East, I mean, much of, many of those countries, many of those landscapes, there isn't soil and ground upon which you can dig down and bury a body like we do in our culture. And so what do they do? They, they often carve, carve tombs in a hillside. Uh, we know this, that Jesus was laid in a rich man's tomb. A rich man's tomb could be actually quite large. It wasn't just a tomb where one body would be placed. Often there would be spots for a few bodies. And often there would be like a waiting room. You would roll the stone back and you'd enter a first room where you could sit and you could grieve and you could mourn. And then there would be a second room deeper in, in the tomb where uh, the bodies would be placed. Jesus tomb, there seems to be a hint in the scripture because it tells us that the disciples went in in one of the gospels and they looked to the right. So many believe that his tomb had a waiting room and then the bodies were placed in a second room off, off to the right. So these women had seen where the body of Jesus had been laid. They approached the tomb. The stone is rolled away and they went right into the tomb and there, was, there would have been room inside this because it was a rich man's tomb for all of them. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, Joanna, all the other ladies with them. There was room for everybody to get in there and to see what had gone on. And they had come to anoint the body of Jesus, but they didn't find that which they were expecting. They did not find the body, Luke says, of the Lord Jesus. And this is the first time in the New Testament that Jesus has ever called Lord Jesus together as one title. It's kind of interesting. When does it happen? At the resurrection. At the resurrection, he becomes the Lord Jesus, where that title is given to him. Now, the thing the women didn't know yet was about the resurrection. All they knew was that on Friday Friday, his body had been safe in the tomb and now on Sunday morning, his body was gone, the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And verse four tells us that they were perplexed. 
I'll say. I mean, just think about that for a moment. That's the humor of the scripture. Oh, they're perplexed. Oh, that's shocking. A body's gone. It's like a body's gone. Like, can you imagine? You know, I just think about what happens when I lose my keys, you know, let alone a body of someone I love who's deceased. You know when you lose your keys? Entirely perplexed. Like, man, I swear I set them right there. And you start drilling the kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> took my keys. You know, one of you, you and you know, you know, you don't want to sound crazy, but, you know, you're, you're sure. It's like, I can't find them. They were here. Somebody is out to get me. <laughs> I always know it's bad for me when I start, you know, interrogating the dog, you know. <laughs> you're going to the SPCA if you don't tell me where the keys are. Now, now imagine a body's missing. Perplexity. Of course there's perplexity. It's a little more serious than a set of keys. And the thing is, is that you and all the other ladies there know exactly where the body was placed. You saw it. You saw him wrapped in linen. You saw it placed. You saw the stone rolled in place. And so there's no question. There's no uncertainty. There's no chance you're wrong or you have the wrong tomb or something like that. The body's just gone. Totally perplexed and at a loss. And so, you know, imagine what started to go on in their heads. I'm sure they began to ask. What's happened to the body? Who took the body of Jesus? Who could have removed it from the tomb? Let's see, what would our options be? The priests and the scribes, they hated him. Well, it couldn't have been them. They were his enemies. The best thing for their cause was that the body of Jesus stay where? In the tomb. They wanted his body in the tomb. They saw that the tomb was sealed. They saw that there was guards put in place. If they had the body, they'd want to disprove the resurrection. How about the disciples? Could they have taken it? No, I don't think it was those guys. I mean, they were too scared, too frightened probably at this point to try anything like that. At, at this point, they were men that were dejected and demoralized and downhearted. Men who I think don't even had the imagine, who didn't even have the imagination on a day like that to dream something up. I mean, they were depressed. And really for them, there was nothing to gain by taking the body of Jesus and claiming that he'd been raised from the dead. What did they have to gain by that? I mean, think about it. Nothing but a world of hurt. It's like them saying and agreeing with one another, let's steal his body, lie about it, and spend the rest of our lives preaching something that's not true. You know, go to prison, get stoned. All of us die by, as martyrs except for the gospel of John. I mean, you get the point, except for John, the gospel of John, except for John. I mean, you get the point. It's not happening. The disciples didn't take the body. And so the women in the tomb were perplexed because anything they were imagining was not adding up. Until, Luke tells us, two uh, men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Two men in dazzling apparel. It makes me think of our worship team this morning. I thought Ron and Blake looked pretty good. <laughs> dazzling. Good job, guys. No, I wouldn't say you were dazzling. Your wives might say that. Andy and I, or your wives, your wife and your girlfriend might say that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, but Andy and I, we thought the, the women on the worship team were pretty dazzling, weren't they, Andy? Our wives, yeah. Who's kidding who? Female backup singers. No, truly, two men stood by these women, and it says they, had they were dazzling 
in their apparel. That's not, you know, that's not a description you give to too many people. You ever say, wow, they look dazzling today. You're dazzling. I mean, there's a point here. These guys were shining with great light. Their, their apparel was shining like bright. And we know the picture, who this is. These are angels. We know that by their description, and we also know it by the reaction of the women. Luke says they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. I'll say, it's a common biblical reaction. When you, write, when you read the Bible and someone meets an angel, it's like, oh, down to the ground, man. I'm afraid. Am I going to die? They were afraid, and they bowed down. And the angels delivered to them an astonishing message. They said this, I love this verse, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. He has risen. Love that verse. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? The angels essentially said this, You got something wrong here. You have something wrong in your assumption as you come to this tomb. You think Jesus is dead. But he's alive. He is not here. He has risen. You know, sometimes people challenge you. They say, really? You believe that? You believe in the resurrection of the dead? You know, maybe even you're here this morning, and it's like, well, some people here believe that, but I wouldn't count myself amongst those who believe in the resurrection of the dead. Do, they, do you really believe that? And you know, there's a simple answer to that question. To, to that question that says, do you really believe that? The answer is this. Well, just prove it wrong. Just go ahead. Prove the resurrection wrong and you got me. Prove it wrong. But the reality is this. The skeptics have never been able to overturn the reality of the resurrection in 2,000 years. Nobody has ever been able to overturn the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You can't prove this story wrong. Did you know that? Luke's gospel. You, you can't prove this wrong. You can't, the only thing you can do, the only thing you can do is this. You can't prove it wrong, so your option is this. You choose to believe it, or you choose to deny it. Believe the account of the resurrection, or deny the account of the resurrection. But if you want to talk about facts... The resurrection cannot be disproved. It's a reality. I mean, if the skeptics had ever been able to overturn the reality of the resurrection, they would have done it a long, long, long time ago. And so you and I, we, we all of us, we have two choices. You deny the account. You deny the account. But look at all the witnesses and all the, all the people that are recounting this story and everyone that's involved and you just consider their lives. I mean, if you want to deny this, then you may as well deny everything else in this world. You know, Julius Caesar didn't exist. The Holocaust is an imagination. You can deny this account, but the truth is, is then the rest of life is pretty unsure too. I mean, if you just can't take a story like this. The second choice is this is that you can believe it. You can accept the words of these witnesses and, and their account is true. You know, in this church, we cling to the reality of the resurrection. This man right here, I cling to the reality of the resurrection in my life. 
The cross that we remembered on Friday, the cross upon which Jesus was nailed and pierced and broken for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities, the cross upon which he shed his blood for the, give, for the forgiveness of the sins of the world and for the redemption of the world, that, that cross and that sacrifice is of no value lest the Lord Jesus Christ be raised from the dead. And so we cling to the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection is the backbone upon which all of our Christianity and all of our faith stands and depends. Our faith is founded upon that reality and, and, and no skeptic, no cynic, no agnostic, no one has ever been able to disprove it. They just chose not to believe it. And you know the beauty of the Easter story, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday is this, is that the payment for our sins has been made by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus made the payment and the Father accepted his son's sacrifice. You know the Father in heaven? He's satisfied. He is satisfied with his son. He said of his son, you are my son and with you I am well pleased. Therefore, you know what the Father did? He raised him from the dead never to perish again. The first fruits of the resurrection, the scripture tells us. That's why Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 3. You can throw it up on the screen there, Calvin. It's the next slide. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The angel said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. He's risen. The reality of Christ's resurrection. But then as the account went on, the, the angels began to remind the women uh, what Jesus had told them beforehand. Their problem in this, their, their, the disciples' problem in all of this, our problem often with Jesus is this, is the failure to remember Christ's words. That's our second point this morning. The failure to remember Christ's words. The angels who appeared to the women at the tomb reminded them of what Jesus had told them in Galilee where he foretold his death and his resurrection. He told them, I will be delivered into the hands of sinful men. You know, on Sundays, if, if you're a regular here, you know we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to wrap it up in the next few weeks. And last week, we just happened to be in that section of the gospel where we saw Jesus handed over, betrayed, handed over and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and the arrest trial and all of these different things. And we saw last Sunday and in our home group, man, we had a great discussion this week. I totally enjoyed it. And it was just so clear as we were talking about the word of God that, that Jesus was completely in control of the entire situation, though it looked to be out of hand. He just had it all serving his will and the purposes of God. The angels told him. He told you he was going to be handed over into the hands of sinful men. And then the angel said, and he told you that he would be crucified. And in Galilee, he told you that on the third day, he would rise again. 
And the scripture says here that then they remembered. Then, ah, right. They remembered his words. They remembered those days in Galilee that seemed like a lifetime ago at this point in time. Listening to Jesus teach, sitting at his feet, the crowds, the miracles, the whole scene. And then they remembered, oh yeah, he told us all these things were going to happen beforehand. Verse 8 says, they remembered his words. They remembered his word. His word was the missing piece that they had forgot to bring to the cross and to the empty tomb. It's an interesting picture. The, the thing that they had forgot to bring, though they were wondering how the stone was going to be rolled away, and though they had packed the spices, the thing they forgot was his word. They forgot to remember his word. They let their emotions get ahead of them. They let disappointment rule their minds. They let fear grip their soul. They let perplexity settle into their spirit. Why? Because they forgot his word. They forgot that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. They forgot that the word of the Lord is upright and all of his works are done in faithfulness. They forgot that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made and the breath of his mouth the host. They forgot that every word of God proves true. They forgot that Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They forgot that Jesus had said, my words are spirit, and my words are life. They forgot that as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, that the Lord said, so shall my word be, it goes out from my mouth and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose for which I send it and it shall succeed in doing the thing I sent it for. They forgot the word. That's a great picture. You know what John's gospel says? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. John says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I mean, we want to talk about the resurrection this morning. Let's talk about the Father's perspective on the resurrection. His word always accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it. There's no doubt in his mind. As the rain comes down and the snow falls and does not return to him without accomplishing his purpose, so he sent his son, the living word. The resurrection has never been at question in the heart and the mind of the Father. It's always been a reality for him. Because God sent his son, the living word, and he would accomplish the purpose for which he was sent and he would succeed in the thing the father sent him to do. And John says this, if you'll receive him, to all who will receive him, who will believe in his name, he will give the right to become children of God. I think about 
These ladies at the tomb, they just forgot. They failed to remember his words. You know, a dull memory is a common problem for Christians, isn't it? A dull memory is a common problem for followers of Jesus, for disciples of Jesus. It's a common problem for religious people. You know, I think about this, I think, well, what's the cure for a poor memory? What's the cure for a poor memory? Let me give you two. The first one is this. A trip, a trip to the empty tomb always helps your poor memory. A trip to the empty tomb will deepen your love for Christ and it will remind you of what Jesus did for you. You know, I think about that song. We used to sing it a lot. Uh, it's got words, look inside this mystery. See the empty tomb. The empty tomb deserves our contemplation. The, em the empty tomb deserves that we meditate upon that which Jesus did for us. You know, the second cure for a poor memory is, is pretty clear. We, we, we've got to be in the Word. I, I can't remember if I don't know the Word. I can't remember if I don't start my day in the Word of God and get some manna from heaven. And so here's these women. Wonderful, God-fearing, Jesus-loving women, and they remembered. And Luke tells us that they went from the tomb, they returned from the tomb, and they told all of these things to the eleven and the rest. And Luke lists off for us who was there at the tomb. He says, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. The response of the 11 to these things, 11 apostles, the disciples, well, we read that when they heard this report from the ladies, that the words seemed to them like an idle tale and they did not believe. That's our third point this morning, the reluctance to believe Christ's resurrection. When the women returned from the tomb and they told these things that they had seen and heard the angels tell them, they reported it to the disciples and it says, they believed that their words, the words seemed like idleness to them, idle words, and they did not believe. And I read that and I, sometimes I'm like, I'm surprised at the unbelief <laughs> of the disciples. And then I think about my own self. I think, boy, I'm so unbelieving all the time. I just so often have a heart of unbelief. I mean, obviously, the disciples as well forgot the words of Jesus. Not only did they forget the words of Jesus, but in spite of credible witnesses, they did not believe. The story of the women seemed like nonsense to them. You know, many people believe that about Jesus, too. I think those Christians, those people, they put their faith in Jesus. It's baloney. It's gibberish, you know, hooey. Whatever you want to call it. You can think of a lot worse things. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. And that was what the disciples thought. This is nonsense. Raised from the dead. What kind of, what kind of story is this? But I love the reaction of Peter. Because in spite of the words that seemed like nonsense to him, Though he did not believe, we're not told Peter believed, he was with the 11, he didn't believe. He did something awesome. He got up and he went to investigate and to find out for himself. 
Forgetting the witness of other people. Okay, I've heard their witness. It seems like nonsense. I'm going to go and find out for myself. It's when he arrived at the tomb and it says that he stooped down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes that he knew had wrapped the body of Jesus. They were lying there all on their own and the body was gone. Now you think about it again. If the body of Jesus had been stolen from the grave, it's pretty unlikely that the thieves would have taken the time and the trouble to remove his clothes, you know, unwrap them, unwrap his body, fold it up, just, I mean, we'll just leave, leave that there. Leave it in some sort of orderly fashion. Peter knew that. And Luke tells us that Peter, as he saw these things, stooped in the tomb, looked, saw those grave clothes left behind, he went home marveling at what had happened. And this tells us that Peter analyzed the situation. Peter knew that something spectacular had happened. He, he saw the condition of the grave and the stone removed and the clothes there and the body had gone, but he did not believe because he had forgotten the words of Jesus. John chapter 20 verse 9 says that. Didn't understand these things. He did not yet understand. You know, I would say this to us this morning. You can know that Jesus rose from the dead. You can know that. But unless you know his word, unless you know his word, it won't make sense. Unless you know the life and teachings of Jesus, you don't know that the resurrection means that the payment Jesus offered on the cross was perfect and it was complete and it satisfied his father. You don't know that the cross was the payment and the empty tomb is the receipt. You won't know unless you know the words of Jesus that death has no hold on a redeemed man. Unless you know the words of Jesus, you won't know that God's God's love and man's hate really went to battle at the cross and God's love won. Unless you know the words of Jesus, you, you won't know that because Jesus was raised from the dead, the word of God promises us that we'll be raised with him. We'll be resurrected with him. You know, when you just consider this story, you, you, you stop and you think about it, I think about the reluctance of the disciples to believe. The reluctance of the disciples to believe is even evidence that he was raised from the dead. That he actually did rise. For those 11, believing in the resurrection was something that they had to be persuaded to believe. And once they had accumulated the facts and once they had met Jesus... Those 11 men became so convinced of the reality of the resurrection that they preached that truth everywhere till their dying breath. The change of mind they had, the, the conviction that gripped their lives, gripped their heart, that's, that's one of the proofs that Jesus rose from the dead. You ever heard of Charles Coulson? Ch Charles Coulson's an interesting character kind of in history. He's, he passed away a, a few years ago. A couple years back, I think. He served in Nixon's administration during the whole Watergate scandal. And he was a man who was known as Nixon's hatchet man, Colson. He was the hatchet man on the team. And in the midst of, well, he really gained his notoriety during that Watergate scandal. 
He was named as one of the seven, the Washington Seven. And he was the first who pled guilty of obstruction of justice and he served seven, seven months in a federal prison. First member of the Nixon administration who had to be incarcerated because of what happened at Watergate. But during that time, in around that time, Colson became a Christian as, as the heat was on his life. And he said this. I think this is awesome. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook the other day, and I just thought it was so cool. It says this. Colson, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison, and they would not have endured it if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? It's absolutely impossible. Isn't that awesome? You think about the 12. I mean, at first it was nonsense. At first they didn't believe, but they were convinced in spite of themselves. In spite of the fact that at first they had been obstinate, at first they had been bullheaded, at first they had been stubborn, at first they refused to believe, and in spite of that refusal, they were convinced. I mean, that tells us the resurrection is true. The resurrection is true. The reality of Christ's resurrection the problem, their failure to remember Christ's words. And the reluctance to believe. And you know, I think about all of our lives. I mean, isn't that our first reaction to Jesus too? Obstinate, <laughs> stubborn, bullheaded, refusal. I'm not going to believe in you. And despite of all of that, we were convinced. The Spirit of God brought conviction to our heart and to our soul and He convinced us about the reality of Jesus Christ. How many here came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> I don't want this. I want you to, you know. And in spite of that, God said, no, let me show you my grace. Let me show you my love. Let me show you my heart for you. It's in the person of my son, Jesus. I'm not willing that anything should separate me from you. And so just like I send my word, and it does not return to me void, so I sent my son, and he accomplished the purpose for which I sent. He gave his life on the cross for the sins of mankind. He died on that cross. Some of his followers took him, and they placed him in a tomb, and sealed that tomb and on the third day just like I planned and according to the words that he spoke on the third day he was raised from the dead it's an awesome story isn't it it's a story upon which you can build your life in an account you know when I think about 
the resurrection and the story of Jesus' crucifixion and all that we're celebrating this morning, I mean, really, I would say this. There's really ultimately one application, isn't there, from this text, from the story of the resurrection. And I, I love Romans chapter 10. Calvin, if you could toss that up on the screen. I love Romans chapter 10 because I think it just buttons up how we're to respond really sweetly to the reality of the resurrection. It says something really simple. It says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that one believes and is justified and it's with his mouth that he confesses and is saved. Saved. It's, it's that simple. That's what belief does. Belief does this. It says, okay, I make the decision in here, in my heart. I believe Jesus in the resurrection. And then I, I speak it with my mouth. I say, your Lord. Your Lord Jesus. Remember the title given to him that day at the tomb. Your Lord Jesus. I, I give you my life. I, I I, I'm bullheaded. I'm stubborn. I've been refusing, but right now I just submit, Jesus, and I give you my heart, and I confess with my mouth, you are Lord. You know, the question that's just true for all of us is this. Will you believe or will you refuse? Will you believe the reality of the resurrection story or will you just deny it? You won't ever prove it wrong. If you choose that road, you're coming to belief. And I would encourage you, if you're in that this place of indecision, do what Peter did. Take the journey to the tomb. Go investigate for yourself. Don't, don't you know, consider the words of this witness or whatever witness you're hearing. Go, go find out for yourself. Is he who he said he is? The resurrection, the resurrection. You know what happens when you go to the tomb? You go home marveling, just like Peter. Today, you know, just go home and throughout your day, just marvel at Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I'm marveling at what you did for me through the cross and through your resurrection. Amen.